Welcome to Book Bistro, where book enthusiasts come to chat about the books they love in a warm and supportive environment. is airing on Tuesday, January 28th, 2020. Hi everybody, this is Shannon and I'm here once again with your guide to the week's new releases. But before I get into that, I am very excited to share an interview that I recently did with author Chad Dundas about his January release entitled The Blaze. This is his second novel, and it was a really, really interesting interview. I enjoyed it quite a bit, so I hope all of you do as well. Um, I just want to go over the usual housekeeping information. You can find us on Twitter and on Facebook by searching Book Bistro Podcast. Right now, we are a lot more active on Facebook than on Twitter, but if you really want to tweet at us, um, you can definitely do that. On Facebook, we share some of what we're reading. We usually keep you updated with that on Wednesdays. Um, we also have a Facebook listener group where you can chat with us as well as with other listeners of the podcast. If you'd like to get a hold of us aside from Twitter and Facebook, you can do that by email. The address is thebookbistropodcast at gmail.com. And we would love to hear from you, whether you have episode suggestions or questions or book recommendations. Um, or you would like us to give you a book recommendation, pretty much anything you want that's related to books, we would be happy to uh, chat with you about. Okay, so first up, we're going to move to the interview. I did this on January 21st, which is the release day for The Blaze. Um, and so if you feel like this is a book that you would enjoy, you can go out and get it once you've heard the interview. Welcome to another edition of the Book Bistro Podcast. This is Shannon, and I am joined today by author Chad Dundas, whose second novel, entitled The Blaze, was released on January 21st, which is today, but won't be today when you're listening to this. So, Chad, welcome to Book Bistro, and thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, well, thanks so much for having me. I'm excited. So, can we start out? by you giving listeners a bit of an introduction to The Blaze? Yeah, of course. Uh, the Blaze is a mystery and thriller that tells the story of an army veteran named Matthew Rose, who returns to his hometown uh, from Iraq after suffering almost total amnesia due to a traumatic brain injury caused by an IED explosion near the end of his tour of duty. And so uh, as Matthew comes home and begins the process of trying to re regain his memory. He also gets sucked into a murder mystery after he witnesses a strange fire where a local university student is killed. And so he's confronted with the problem of trying to rediscover his own past while he's also trying to solve that mystery. So when you actually sat down to write this, how much of Matthew's past did you know kind of ahead of the character? Hmm, that's a great question. I think I had a general idea where I wanted to start and where I wanted to end up with the book. Uh, and I've been thinking about writing something about a character suffering from memory loss uh, for a long time. Uh, but I don't know that I knew the specifics of Matthew Rose's story 
uh, until I did sit down to start working on the first draft of the manuscript. And then, of course, through numerous drafts over the entire lifespan of, of the of the book, I kind of figured out here and there uh, the details of, of his own past. But I certainly didn't have uh, a map, a roadmap to, from beginning to end when I started. Can you tell us a little bit about your process of writing a character who has kind of no memory of his past and how you're able to weave that into the story in a way that feels authentic and not just like a plot device? Sure. Um, like I said, I, uh, I think someone having amnesia is something that has been interesting to me for a while, and I thought that there was a lot of possibility there uh, for a character to get involved in, in a mystery who was suffering from some manner of memory loss. Uh, and uh, unfortunately, my day job as a sports writer, I cover combat sports like boxing and mixed martial arts, so uh, I've ended up writing more than I probably wanted to about brain injuries and how uh, disruptions to the structure of the brain can affect personality and, and, uh, you know, make people into change people into different people in, in some ways. And then of course, to, to read news reports about soldiers coming home from war with what is being described as the signature wound of modern warfare and the traumatic brain injury. Uh, I was kind of fascinated by that and the problems that it creates not only internally for the people who suffer those injuries, but also, for the civilian medical in complex that trying to grapple with these, with these kind of maladies that, that we're just sort of figuring out now how to treat. Um, so I think all of those ideas kind of came together in my head to, to form the blaze. But at the same time, I think I was a little bit naive when I first started out about what it would be like to write about a character who had such dramatic memory loss, you know, <laughs> as it turns out, uh, we as humans are, are the sum total of our previous experience and our own memories are, are uh, positive and, and negative experiences and sort of our, our, our likes and dislikes. So much of that is, is informed by memory and shaped by memory that if you start to write about a character that, that doesn't have any of that previous experience or at least can't access any of his previous experiences, uh, it really does make him something of a limited, a limited character because you know, he's experiencing life from moment to moment and uh, kind of trying to plot his course while he, he figures out who he is and where he came from. But he doesn't uh, have a, a, a lot of uh, the ability to, to fill in with the interiority that you might get from, from a normal character. And so writing Matthew Rose in the beginning was a challenge. I think it took me a draft or two before I figured out how to do it and how to make it feel organic to the to the plot and the world of of the story but at the same time i feel like um one of the things that i figured out over time was it was really important to see him interacting with with the setting to see him interacting with his hometown in montana because he's in this pretty unique position where he's coming back to a place that he should be very very familiar with and he's surrounded by people that he should be very very familiar with but at the same time he's in many ways seeing them for the first time and, and interacting with places and people as if he's a stranger so I think mm-hmm. that, that, you know, figuring out how to do those things was a big key to his character and a big key to making it feel like uh, it fit with the rest of the novel and like it wasn't just a device, as you say. So we talk quite a bit here on Book Bistro about civility representation in fiction and the ways in which that is done well and the ways in which it isn't. So I'm curious to know kind of how you 
worked either with other people or with research to make sure that you created <clears throat> an authentic disability experience for your character. Yeah, um, I did the best that I could. I think, you know, I have, uh, as part of my job as a sports writer, I've interviewed a fair number of people who are suffering from, um, yeah, doctors and brain researchers uh, who work for the, the Cleveland Clinic and other places like that. Some of the people who are doing uh, kind of cutting edge work with brain science. Uh, and in addition to that, I, I, I read a couple of books and read as many articles online about people suffering from TBI that I could find. One of the interesting things, one of the interesting conclusions, I guess I would say, that I came to after trying to read and talk to some people about traumatic brain injury is that the symptoms uh, can be so diverse that it almost seems like uh, TBI can cause almost any kind of, of uh, uh, effects in, in the person that suffers from it. There's a, you know, a wide array of things that people experience in the wake of doing of, of experiencing a traumatic brain injury um and so the injury that matthew has in the book is a, a real and somewhat common traumatic brain injury called the diffuse axonal injury uh and it's something that that you know impact victims suffer and it's something that uh people who've experienced a uh an explosion like he does during his military service experiences um and I, you know, I tried to make him as realistic as I could, though some of the some of the symptoms, including the extent of his amnesia, are somewhat fictionalized. Just because I had to do that to make the the plot of the book work, I needed to uh, to make his his experience unique and uh, singular to him. And so some of that mm -hmm. was just a product of how the book worked. But at the same time, I, I think my biggest concern was to try to make everything that he experiences feel organic to the world of the story. So even if some of it is fictionalized, I wanted to create an environment where the reader themselves didn't feel like they were um, pushed out of the story or jogged out of uh, the dream world of the story by something that felt really artificial or, or inorganic. Um, and it, it was definitely a process. In the end, I feel kind of happy with the way it came out. I guess, uh, you know, it's, it's ultimately up to the reader to decide, I guess, how uh, how successful it was, but, um, you know, I, I hope it was successful and I, and I feel like at the end of the process, like, like we did a good job. So I think, you know, largely you're right in that it is up to the reader to sort of decide how we feel about a depiction of any character, whether it's a character with a disability or not. Um, but I think it's so important that authors come at this from a firm kind of foundational understanding of the group of people that they're writing about. So I really appreciate your thoughts here on kind of how you tried to create this in an organic way. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it's without having actually experienced experiencing a TBI myself, I guess I can't say a hundred percent uh, mm -hmm. that I'm sure that I, that I captured it accurately. Uh, but I tried to make it specific to, to him as a human being and specific to the world of, of the novel. And so, uh, you know, if, if people read it, I hope that they can enjoy it. And if people read it and, and feel like they have, uh, issues with it, I, I certainly would be interested in hearing from those people and talking to them about it. So let's talk about Georgie's character, um, for a bit. Because it seems like she adds kind of an extra layer to the story and perhaps some insight into 
Matthew's past that he doesn't possess himself. And so she kind of can serve as a lens um, for the reader into kind of getting to know Matthew the way he was before his TBI. Um, How necessary do you think a character like Georgie is in a book where our protagonist doesn't have access to his own past? Uh, Yeah, she was 100% necessary. (laughs) And all of the stuff that you just said is exactly right about the function that that the Georgie character plays in the book. Um, You know, above and beyond that, she was also probably the most rewarding character to write about in this novel for me as the as the author just because I had a sense of Matthew Rose and I, I knew that he was going to be in the book and I knew that that he was going to be the starting place for the book but at the same time I knew that I didn't want him to be a, uh, disconnected from all of society or disconnected completely from his past I didn't want him to be this kind of like a lone wolf uh, noir character like uh, raging against society as he tries to figure out his own uh, his own history. I wanted him to have some manner of support system. I wanted him to have some manner of connection uh, with his past. And so uh, Georgie Porter is a character that uh, is close to my heart because her, her life experience are as close or closer to my own as, as any character I've ever written. You know, she's a small town newspaper reporter and I did that for a lot of years. She's living in Missoula, Montana uh, in a sparsely furnished kind of rundown rental house, which I think will speak to a lot of the people uh, in in and around the West who, who are young professionals getting started in their careers and, and experience mm-hmm. that, that kind of situation. Um, and, and so uh, she came second after Matthew in terms of a point of view character, but at the same time, she, to me, really came alive and became a fully realized character in a way that that was really delightful to me as, as the writer. I really appreciated uh, working through these drafts of the manuscript and feeling her kind of come to life as I did that. And again, like you said, she has a really, really important role in the book because Matthew is a little bit more... Uh, limited in what he can do in terms of interiority and in terms of uh, giving the reader a a sense of his own story because he does not have access to those memories himself. So just as the reader is kind of getting to know Matthew as he gets to know the town and figure out these mysteries that he's surrounded by, you really need a a person like Georgie, a point of view character like Georgie, to be able to uh, fill the reader in with things that you need to know as you're reading the book, even if those are things that Matthew does not know. Mm Mm-hmm. So I'd like to transition a little bit just into kind of your own background and how you came to write this book, because your background is primarily in sports writing, and your first novel was historical fiction. So what sort of prompted you to move from like historical fiction to more of, more of a modern uh, suspense thriller type of story? Yeah, I, I always like to say that no one was more surprised than I was that my first book was historical fiction. Uh, Champion of the World was kind of a unique obsession of mine. Uh, it, it lit up a bunch of the different specific nerd centers in my brain and like took on a lot of subject matter that was kind of near and dear to my heart just in terms of my lifelong interests and, of course, my career as a, a sports writer and some of the stuff that I deal with day to day. Um, so I, in retrospect, I feel like I never really had a choice of whether or not I was going to write champion of the world. It was a story that was just kind of stuck in my brain and I felt like I needed to get it out there on paper just so I could kind of get it out of my head and be done with it. Um, 
but once it was out there in the world, uh, I knew that I wanted to, to move on to a more contemporary project. And I knew that I wanted to do a mystery and thriller because that's been the genre that I've been primarily uh, interested in as a reader my whole life. You know, as a kid, that was what I grew up reading for pleasure. And to this day, it's, you know, mysteries and thrillers are, are, are the thing that I read most often. And so I knew that I wanted to do something contemporary. I knew that I wanted it to be set in Montana. And I knew that it was going to be, uh, you know, in the mystery, thriller, suspense genre. And so from there, uh, I kind of started fusing together the, the character of Matthew Rose and the, the incidents with a couple of different fires that were based on actual events in Missoula, the town where I grew up, and sort of, uh, you know, pieced it together in, into the, the fully realized book that ultimately became The Blaze. So what will come next for you now that The Blaze um, is out in the world? Um, yeah, that's a great question. I've got a couple of different projects, uh, fiction-wise, that I'm working on. Both of them are, are contemporary mysteries that are set in Montana, so in, the, in a similar milieu to The Blaze, but I think that the, each of them tackles somewhat different subject matter. I'm kind of tinkering around with both of them right now, to be honest, just to see if one of them asserts itself more in my mind. Uh, if one of them is the one that feels to me like it has more creative juice or if one of them is the one that I become particularly obsessed with, the one that like mm -hmm. just kind of keeps needling me in the way that you have to be needled by a, uh, an idea if you're going to stick with it to write an entire book. Um, and whichever one does will probably be the one that I pursue, frankly. Uh, and in addition to that, I'm working on a, a serialized history and true crime podcast with uh, my brother, who is a magazine editor and a nonfiction writer. And a couple of our friends, one of whom is a history PhD and another is a journalist in Missoula, Montana. Uh, that podcast is called Death in the West, and it's going to focus on sort of the unsolved crimes and historically significant crimes uh, of the West. Um, and so we, we hope that we'll be able to start putting out episodes of that in 2020. So I, you know, I have a, creatively, I have <laughs> uh, more than enough to keep me busy, I guess I would say. Yes, it sounds like you do. Can you tell us something about your writing process? Sure, yeah. Um, my has to be somewhat set in stone by necessity. Like my wife and I have three small children. We have a, a, a seven-year-old, a four-year-old, and a two-year-old. And so they are a handful, and we are very much in the, ah, weeds. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> We're in the weeds trying to like keep all our lives on the track at all times. My wife is an attorney. Uh, I have a day job as a sports writer, so we both kind of work a lot. And so uh, in order to do fiction, I figured out over time that it has to be the first thing that I do in the day. Because if I put it off oh. until afternoon, I will end up getting tired or like, you know, a, a child will come home or like be needed to pick up, be needed to get picked up from school because they're sick. Uh, or I'll just end up blowing it off for, for one reason or another. So what I do is I get up as early in the morning as I can, like 5 or 6 a.m., and I try to spend a couple of hours writing uh, before and before the, the kids get up and they need to go to school and before I have to start my work day as, as a journalist. And uh, I try to set really manageable goals for myself. You know, I don't want to say I'm going to write thousands and thousands of words every day because if I fall short of that goal, I don't want it to start getting to be something that's frustrating or something that ultimately puts me off from the project. So I just try to write as much as I can, whether it be 200 or 500 words, sometimes a thousand words if things are, are going well. Uh, and I've learned also over time that that momentum is probably the most important aspect for me creatively, just, just sort of like 
you know, taking it piece by piece every day, showing up in the in the chair in front of the computer and getting done what I can get done, even if it doesn't feel like it's particularly good, even if it doesn't feel mm-hmm. like it, it's a lot. I try to do a little bit every day. And as the old cliche says, focus on the process. And uh, ultimately, over the course of a year or so or several months, uh, you know, I look back and I've actually gotten a lot done. So uh, just in terms of process, that's what I try to do. It's not perfect. It doesn't work out every day. But I just try to get in the chair in on those mornings as much as I can. I feel like there's very little that works out like all the time, every day (laughs) for everyone. So, right. So I think that is a really commendable way to look at that so that you don't um, kind of get bogged down too much. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think it's like important to me to like keep my internal editor in check sometimes, you know, because we'll have this little Ah, voice inside us that is like, this is not good. You should stop. This isn't working. Or if you, if I try to set this standard of perfection for myself, if I can't reach it and I end up missing a bunch of days, my, that internal editor starts being like, you need to scrap this, this schedule and try to do something else. So like, I try to be reasonable with myself just as long as I can get in the chair, you know, as much as I can. That's good. That's good enough. So you mentioned um, a little bit ago that you have read a lot of mysteries and thrillers. Have you read anything recently that you kind of want to uh, cue the world into? Sure. Yeah. Um, I just finished a couple of books, both of which I thought were were pretty amazing. One of which is uh, The Bird Boys by Lisa Sandlin, which was on, I think it was the New York Times uh, list of best mysteries from 2019. It's set in New Orleans in the 1970s, and it's about a fledgling private investigator and his uh, partner slash secretary who helps him solve these mysteries. And it's got a really uh, pleasing like 1970s cop show vibe to it. Like you can definitely imagine people with sideburns and wide lapels running around <laughs> trying to trying to solve these mysteries. And at, at the same time, it's it's really really well written and it manages to be manages to be pretty poignant at times. So uh, I would really recommend that to anyone who is interested in that genre. And I also read a book called Every Man a Menace by Patrick Hoffman, which actually came out in 2016, but was new to me when I read it. And it, it's, it's kind of wild. It's a very kaleidoscopic novel that has a, a wide cast of characters and a lot of different point of view characters uh, telling the story about a bunch of bad people who are all kind of trying to uh, uh, screw them, screw each other over on a, a huge shipment of Molly, the club drug. Uh, oh. and, and like, it's kind of heavy and kind of depressing. So I would warn people up front, like don't read it unless that's something that you are particularly interested in. But like by the end of it, I felt like I'd never really read anything exactly like it before. It was really kind of remarkable, uh, the way Patrick Hoffman pulled that off. So, so I enjoyed it, even though it's, uh, it's a little bit of a heavy read. Speaking of heavy reads, I recently read um, Liz Moore's Long Bright River, which is very heavy and deals with addiction, um, opiate addiction in a Philadelphia neighborhood, which is also kind of a a darker, grittier read. And so I think there's so many of those now that are coming out where people are really looking at tough issues. And I I love that a lot about books. Yeah, a long and Long Bright River. I, I haven't read it yet, but I definitely want to because it's 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 everywhere right now. You know, it's uh, it is. getting it's so huge. many so much good press, and it's on every list that you look at. So I have <laughs> I have it written down definitely at the top of my list of of next things to read. Yeah, it it was pretty phenomenal. Um, it's one of those things that you start and you just don't want to put it down. Yeah, 
No, I better get on that. So your book is also available in audio format. And I'm wondering if you had much to do with that process of turning the blaze into an audiobook. Um, you know, just a little bit. It was produced by uh, Penguin Random House audiobooks. Yes. So, like in-house. And I so I had a little bit more input than I had with Champion of the World, which was done by an outside uh, production studio. Um, and so this time, you know, the, the people from the from the audio division definitely reached out to me. And they had several different readers with little samples that, that I could listen to and try to see which one I thought worked best for the uh for this for the blaze and like they had some some favorites like people that they wanted to do and so i listened to those ones and ultimately uh had some input in in recommending the guy who got picked i think he was kind of like the favorite of everyone involved i thought he was the best and he was the one that the audio guys wanted to go to uh they reached out to me about pronunciations <laughs> of some of the stuff uh, yes. in the book and so i got to give some input on that uh above and beyond that they kind of like went and and, and did it largely on their own i and Actually, next week I'm going to be on the road a little bit, so I will have some driving time. So I'm definitely going to get the Blaze audiobook and listen to it uh, just to experience it that way. But like from what I've heard, the the samples that they sent me so far, it sounds like they did a great job. Yeah, you have a great, great narrator. Um, it was actually the audio, um, advanced audio copy that I got in yeah. preparation for this interview. Okay, yeah, that's um, good. No, I'm, so, I'm looking forward to hearing it myself. So, yes, he, he, he does a great job. Um, he has one of those voices that just seems to, like, really fit the character and the story. And so, like, in my brain, this is sort of how, like, Matthew would speak. Mm -hmm. um, and it, it's just, it, it's a great thing when that can happen. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm, you know, I do a lot of audiobooks myself just because I'm in the car so much transporting children from place to place. So, uh, uh, yes. <laughs> so I do a lot of audiobooks. And uh, so I'm always really excited and interested to hear what the audiobook of, of my book is going to sound like. So that's definitely one that I hope I can listen to it next week. So, do you kind of instill your love of, of books and reading in your children as they're growing up? Yes. Yeah. Well, I mean, we're doing our best. You can't really, uh, it's true. <laughs> you, you don't have a ton of control. It turns out over what they, what kind of people they ultimately become. But my, my, my daughter who is seven is super into it and like tells everyone that she wants to be a book writer. Uh, and like, we'll sit down at the table in our dining room and not only like draw pictures, but she'll just like write and write and write and write these amazing, you know, pages long stories. And then she reads them to us. And I am admittedly biased because it's my daughter, but like, I feel yes. like the stories are really good. I feel like she has kind of like a natural storytelling ability and some of the writing that she turns out from like a craft standpoint. I'm like, wow, that's, that's actually kind of amazing considering that you're only seven. So who knows? <laughs> Maybe she'll stick with it. Maybe she'll pick it up. I don't know. Well, you know, that would always be a good thing. The world needs more more writers. <laughs> yeah, for sure. There there are, you know, many of them. Like, I look at my TBR pile of all these books that I want to read, and I think, like, you know, there are thousands of them. And then I'll have this, like, weird thought. Like, oh, my gosh, what if, like, I read everything there is? Like, what if there just <laughs> wouldn't be any more? And it's a little terrifying. So... I am definitely a fan of uh, more people becoming writers. Anyway, I want to ask you um, one more thing before I let you dash off to your next interview. But 
Can you let listeners know the best way to get a hold of you online? Sure. Yeah, I have a website, chaddundas.com. Just my name, all one word, where they can keep track of uh, stuff going on with my fiction. I'm also on Twitter, at Chad Dundas, my name, all one word. Uh, and then I'm there's a Facebook page, facebook.com slash Chad Dundas author, um, all of which I, I try to keep updated. Um, so if people are interested, they can definitely check me out at those places. Excellent. Well, I want to thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule to have a conversation with me today. And I wish you the best of luck on your release day, which has to be like one of the best things ever to like know that your work is now like in the world and ready for people. It's one of the, it's one of the best days on the job for sure. The day that the book yeah. comes out. <laughs> um, but yeah, thanks so much for having me. This was really fun. I enjoyed the the, the conversation, and I appreciate you uh, taking the time to talk to me. You are very welcome. Okay, now for new releases. This is um, a pretty big release day. Not quite as big as like January seventh, but. There are some really great things that I'm super excited about, as are some of my other uh, presenters here at Book Bistro. So as always, this is not a comprehensive list. So if you're really excited about something and you didn't hear me mention it, definitely let me know. Um, The more feedback you give me about the kind of things you enjoy, the new releases that excite you, um, I am better able to curate this list for the general like listenership of Book Bistro. So definitely let me know what you are excited about. So the first few books I'm going to mention are books that we talked about on our most anticipated books of January episode. I start off with Diamond City by Francesca Flores. This is the first book in what looks to be a really dark and gritty young adult fantasy series. I'm so excited. Mika talked about this um, a few weeks ago, and it just sounds fantastic. Next up is The Lookalike by Erica Spindler, which is actually my current read. And as I'm recording this, I think Brooke is also reading this one. Um, And that is, uh, I don't know if it's going to be more like romantic suspense or more straight up thriller, but it's super good so far. I highly recommend it. And Natalia talked about these next few books. Um, Rules of Engagement by J.T. Geisinger, which is a standalone contemporary romance, is out this week. A bunch of us are also really excited about Wicked Bite, which is the second book in Janine Frost's Night Rebel series. And a bunch of us are like chomping at the bit to read the latest Lisa Gardner. This is When You See Me. It's Dee Dee Warren, number 11. Um, And I am always excited for a new Lisa Gardner. So those are the books that you've heard us talk about before. And now I'm going to move on to some books that you haven't heard of, at least not from us. Katie Reyes is releasing the final book in her Endgame uh, trilogy. And this is called Bishop's Endgame. And this is romantic suspense. Um, I think kind of darker romantic suspense, like security, Navy SEALs, this kind of thing. I don't know if there's actually SEALs, but it reminds me of like some of those things where some people have like a security company and they are protecting their clients from all sorts of bad people. 
So this is Bishop's Endgame, Endgame number three by Katie Reyes. Cartier's Hope is out this week. This is the latest novel by M.J. Rose. I was lucky enough to read an advanced copy and it was so, so amazing. It takes place in Gilded Age, New York, and it centers around the legend of the Hope Diamond that has come to New York City. And we have a fantastic heroine who is a journalist in her 30s. It was just so, so great. Um, if you love historical fiction with a little bit of mystery and a great romance, I highly recommend this. It's Cartier's Hope, and it's by M.J. Rose. The Carousel by J.A. Stone, who also writes under the name Juliana Stone, comes out this week. This is women's fiction that's set in Louisiana. Um, I read this as well. Um, four women are connected by both blood and also kind of family of choice. Um, the setting is phenomenal. The author brings like small town Louisiana to life so, so well. So this is The Carousel and it's by J.A. Stone. Nina Sadowski has The Empty Bed, which is the Burial Society, book two. And this is kind of a, a mystery series about a woman who helps people fake their deaths and start over, um, like kind of start new lives with like fake names and fake identities and all this um, for various reasons. So The Burial Society is the first book in this series, and this is The Empty Bed by Nina Sadowski. This next thing I'm going to talk about is the 15th installment in a series that has been on my radar for probably 10 years or so. This is Cast in Wisdom, and it's Chronicles of Elantra, number 15, by Michelle Sagara. I've heard great things about this. Christine Vam is the um, narrator, if you do these in audio, and I think she's so fantastic. So I do want to uh, try these books out at some point soon. I know I always say that, and then I, I still don't do it. But anyway, this is Cast in Wisdom, Chronicles of Elantra, book 15, by Michelle Sagara. This next thing is pretty unique. This is Blood Countess, and it's by Lana Popovic, and it is historical horror um, for a young adult audience. It's inspired by, like, it's kind of a gender-flipped Dracula, I guess. So we have Countess Dracula. Um, I've heard good things about it. Um, it's, like I said, Blood Countess by Lana Popovic. Next up is Blue Flowers. This is by Carola Saavedra, and it is a story of missed connections and dark obsession, literary fiction with a little bit of a suspenseful edge from what I can tell. This is Blue Flowers, and it is by Carola Saavedra. I do not always love Megan Frampton's writing. I have to be upfront and say that. However, I've heard great things about her newest release. This is Never Kiss a Duke. It's the Hazards of Duke series, book one by Megan Frampton. Um, I find some of her books to be a little too light and fluffy for me, but I'm really excited to give this one a try. Um, if you've enjoyed her work before, you are likely to enjoy this. And if you haven't, 
um, it just might be a good place for you to dive in. So this is Never Kiss a Duke, The Hazards of Dukes, book one by Megan Frampton. White Out, Survival Instinct, book one by Adriana Anders is out this week. She has done some really great male-male romances, um, and now it looks like she is turning her attention to romantic suspense. So I'm always looking for new romantic suspense because I think we don't have as much of it these days as we used to. So I'm pretty excited about this one. Um, I've heard just so many good things about her writing as well. So this is White Out, Survival Instincts, book one by Adriana Anders. Speaking of things that I'm always on the lookout for, I'm going to tell you about the first book in a new like, urban fantasy series. This is Bloodbound, Lawrence Vampires, book one by R.J. Blaine. And it's about a woman who's changed into a vampire and she has to team up with this super old, experienced, very powerful vampire in order to kind of save her race from extinction. So it's Bloodbound, Lawrence Vampires, book one, and it's by R.J. Blaine. Going back to historical romance for a moment, Seduce Me with Sapphires is the second book in the London Jewels trilogy by Jane Feather. The first book is Tempt Me with Diamonds. And I've heard so many good things about um, Jane Feather. So this is one that is definitely on my short list of things to read soon. It is Seduce Me with Sapphires, London Jewels, book three. No, I'm sorry, book two by Jane Feather. I'm super excited about this one as well. This is The Truants, and it is a literary fiction with some suspense. It's by Kate Weinberg, and it's said to appeal to fans of The Secret History. I have not read The Secret History or The Goldfinch, for that matter, but Donna Tartt is an author I've heard great things about, and for this to be compared to her, I think is pretty great. Um, so it's literary fiction with some suspense. Uh, the tagline is, people disappear when they most want to be seen. So that intrigues me quite a bit. This is The Truants by Kate Weinberg. How about some psychological suspense? This is The Family Next Door by Fiona Cummins. And it's about a family who moves into this house where not so long ago, some bodies were discovered like in the woods that kind of border this property. Um, so obviously there's something going on there. These people don't necessarily think that will, it will affect them at first. And then I guess it starts to. So this is The Family Next Door and it's by Fiona Cummins. And that is all I have for you this week. I hope I've managed to help you expand your TBR piles. Um, this is a great release week, as I said. Next week also looks really, really good. So many good things coming out. If you would like to let us know your thoughts, you can do that by leaving us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts or any other platform you use to access the show. And not only does it allow us to see your feedback, but it also helps other book lovers to find us, which is a great thing. 
so I will be back next Tuesday morning with more bookish fabulousness. And some number of us will be back on Friday with more discussion of great books. Take care, everybody.